Now I'm super excited for tonight. I don't know about you, but I love hearing testimonies from our congregation, our whanau, because you know, we can relate to some of these people, these stories, and I think it's awesome just to share about what God's doing in and through our lives, yeah? And so we've got not one, not two, but three speakers tonight. And yeah, give them a clap. You don't even know who they are yet. <laughs> so we're going to have Kyla up first, and then we're going to have Mike, and then we're going to have Katisha. And they're all from our, yeah, you've got some fans out there already. Um, they're from our Young Families Connect group. So you can always um, have a chat to them afterwards if you're from a young family, you're not connected in yet. But um, yeah, I'm just excited to hear from them tonight. So I'm not going to take up any more oxygen in the room. And I'm going to invite Kyla up to come and share her word. Let's give her a hand. You got this, girl. Cool. Hey, guys. Um, cool. So... Like Chelsea said, my name is is um, Kyla. Yeah. So this is my first time speaking. So excuse excuse the the shaky knees. Um, yeah. So I've I've done a little bit of speaking before in kid church. So also please excuse if some silly weird voices or anything sleeps out because it's just second nature sometimes. Um, yeah. So. Um, yeah, if you haven't noticed, public speaking freaks me out like crazy. Um, and actually, I've, it's something I've noticed, um, just disclaimer, it's, it's one of my weaknesses, but God has showed me over and over again um, that his power is made perfect in my weakness. And so he has given me authority. And so here we go. Okay, I'm going to stop stalling. So, so, so tonight I'm going to share a bit of my story. Um, over the last few weeks, um, I've been wrestling a lot with what to share um, and how to share it. And for some reason, after 33 years, it seems like I have a lot of story. Um, and um, a lot of which I'm convinced would just be too long and difficult to explain. Um, but looking back, it's really crazy to see how God has had his hand on my life even when I didn't, didn't realize it and I thought I was really far from him. Um, keeping it simple, looking back, I can say I didn't grow up in a Christian home. My mother wasn't an atheist or, or she wasn't strongly opposed to God or anything. She would probably, in actuality, say that she was a Christian. Um, we were what I would call a Christer Christians. So we went to church on Christmas and Easter. Um, and bonus, um, I went to a summer camp, um, a Christian summer camp for a week every year. So Christmas, Easter, and a week of Christian camp. Woo! Um, yes. It's quite funny how I got to this, this camp. Um, and there was a community center in our neighborhood who sponsored kids to go to, to a summer camp. And while my mom was looking at the list of camps, she just happened to notice one that her mom had taken her to when she was a kid to a family camp. And so she saw it. She was like, oh, cool. I'll sign her up for that one. Random but important. So remember that. Okay. So, um, so from a secular viewpoint, I was a Christian. Church twice a year in camp, like I said before. Um, I did the things you were supposed to do, so I ticked all the boxes. I was good. I was labeled as a Christian, even though I looked nothing, nothing at all like Christ. And so as a teenager, being at home wasn't my favorite thing. I don't have a re great relationship with my mom, and in actuality, I don't even, I don't even know who my dad is. And my, my mom was 19 when I was born, and she tried her best with what she had, um, but our house wasn't the most uplifting environment. When, while I was at home, I felt mistreated, unheard, and incapable of expressing my thoughts or emotions without the fear of being ridiculed. 
I took every opportunity possible to just not be at home. I didn't want to be there. Um, I started to look for my self-worth and love in other things. Boys, alcohol, parties, everything that came with that. Um, so these things, they were great temporary fixes for my problems. They took, but they took a toll on me. Psychologically, I wasn't in a great place, and I felt as though no one could know that my life wasn't perfect. So because of this, I put an impenetrable, happy mask on. Um, and while I was searching for my self-worth and all of these things, um, I just pressed my mask on even tighter because I didn't want anyone to know. Um, I won't go into any detail, but there was a point one day that where it was almost like my eyes were open, and I thought, what am I doing with my life? I'm going to end up just like my mother. Um, and that was motivation um, for me to change something, <laughs> just being honest here. Um, so I can see now that this was a pivotal moment of God's hand being on me, um, but in the time, it was just, God was the last thing on my mind. It was just random. Um, so... I decided I was going to change, but the only thing is I didn't really know how to change. Um, I tried to focus more on studies. I tried to be good, which only lasted for a short time until I slipped back to where I was before. Um, my efforts were, were well-intentioned, but so powerless in my own strength. Shortly after my life just hit another low, I, I just had this other super random thought, you know, just random. Um, I thought, oh, those summers we're great. I should apply to be a summer camp counselor. Why not? Like those camp counselors, they look like they're having so much fun. I'm going to do it. I'm going to apply because I'm a Christian too. Hey, I went to church on Christmas. I'm good. Yeah. So I go and I apply. So I, I know now that this is God's hand. That, that thought was God's hand on, on my life. But at the time it was just a random idea how I could get away from home for a while. I applied to a job at this camp and I remember on the phone, um, in the, in the parking lot of Target, Target is a great store in the States, by the way, um, in, the, in the parking lot of Target, um, telling this guy that I went to church, I'm a Christian, and it was only by God's mercy that I got a job at this camp. And again, I can see it now that that was God's hand, but at the time it was just random. Everything's random, you know? It's all good. Um, so I had no idea that that summer would radically change my life. I turned, I turned up at this place that the people were just overflowing with genuine joy. The only thing that I could tell that was different between their lives and my lives was that they had an understanding of the Bible and they had a relationship with Jesus, whatever the heck that meant. Um, I was curious to know more, so I went out, I bought myself a Bible, and I started reading. There, there wasn't a crazy moment that it was like, bam, like, Jesus, I'm here. Like, there was no crazy moment. It was just a slow burn that whole summer. Throughout the summer, I learned that I was broken. I had drastically missed the mark of God's perfection. Not just me, but, but everyone has missed this mark. They've fallen short of God's perfection. And because of this, we're all separated from God. There's a huge canyon between us that was created when I denied God and chose to go my own way. But God is such a good father who loves me and loves us. And he loves the world so much that he couldn't bear to be separated. So he sent his son Jesus to this earth to live an absolutely perfect life, the one that I could not live. And he, he died a death as a criminal. 
He, he did this in order to build a bridge over that canyon to connect us back to God. And walking across this bridge, I learned that it was a free gift, that there was no toll, no ticket price. There was nothing I needed to do. No amount of good works, church attendance, no trying to fix myself up um, that I needed to do before that I could get onto this bridge and be connected with God. And if there was something that I could have done, then Christ would have died for nothing. And while I was still a broken sinner, Christ died for me. Let that sink in that while you are a sinner, that Christ died for you. And by putting my faith in Jesus and declaring that I'm done with that old life and repenting for my sins, literally turning away from them and following Jesus, I have been put on this bridge and I have been connected to God. I can draw closer to him. And it's a daily walk, a daily of laying down my life and picking up Jesus, of laying it down and picking up Jesus. If I'm holding on to this person who I've brokenly put together, who is Kyla, I, I can't pick up these attributes of Jesus. And this has been an ongoing process over the past 14 years. That something that will happen until the day I die, just continually laying down myself and picking up Jesus. The Kyla that you are looking at now is drastically different from 2008 Kyla. And I praise the Lord for placing his hand on my life and not taking it off. I thank God that even though I didn't recognize at the time, his voice was loud enough for me to answer that call. God's word is powerful and searching my way through it has changed my life. I want to encourage anyone who's here today that, that maybe you're searching or you don't know what's going on or whatever. I want to encourage you to, to, that you're here for a reason. You're hearing this message for a reason. And if you're searching and curious, then keep looking. If you diligently search for the truth, it will find you. And for everyone, woo, for everyone who is here, excuse me, and maybe you've walked with Jesus all your life, you know God, and, and you're like, cool, another testimony of, of God's power on someone's life. Sweet, let's go home. Um, don't because there's two more people. But also, let me speak to you as well. So there are millions and millions of 2008 Kylas out there. There's so many. And they're outside of these walls and they are hurting and they were broken. They're looking for love, a community, self-worth and joy. And your journey is not over. There is an even greater call in your life. Jesus proclaimed that we are to go out and make disciples. And this call is for outside of the church, outside of these walls. And eventually, God willing, those disciples will come into the church. But we need to first go out. When Jesus called the 12, he didn't go to the local synagogues and find the most like pious looking guys. No, he went to the streets and he went to the places where the locals hang out and he sought his father for wisdom and he, he chose fishermen and tax collectors and sinners to follow him. With God's guidance, we are also called to go out into our communities and our schools and our workplaces and our sports teams and make friends with people who don't know Jesus. God will place on your heart, on each of your hearts, who he is pursuing and use you in those friendships to speak life into their darkness. Please don't hear this as just another testimony of God's power. Please let this story break your heart for the 2008 Kylas out there, okay? For the people outside of these walls who are searching and have no idea where to look. They need you and your friendship your joy to show them the power that God has revealed through your life and how he can reveal it in theirs. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you.
Thanks, Kyla. That was awesome. I think we all have a, as you said, a 2008 version of yourselves. I got married in 2008, so the bad years must have been before then. Um, I must have missed the memo about testimonies. Um, someone gave me the mic and said, um, talk about something I'm passionate about, so I clo chose climate change. Um, which is lucky, but I have five minutes, but I have 55 slides to talk to. Um, luckily, they're not all in here. Um, so this is, hopefully some slides come up. If he's gonna get the thumbs up, we'll see. Um, uh, this is kind of my perspective on Christianity and climate change and environmental stewardship and how we can do something about it. Um, this is from my background as a coastal engineer working with hazards and risk and climate change um, in New Zealand and throughout the Pacific. Um, I've worked for NIWA um, I currently work for Becker, but I'm starting my own little company called Alice & Co. Um, which is going to be a real challenge, actually. What's that? In four weeks. In four weeks I start it, yes. Um, so without 55 slides, this is a bit of a, a quick run-through. So if we can go to our next slide. There we go. Um, this slide's been around for a while. This is, you know, climate change and the greenhouse gas effect. As we, as humans, have emitted more gas into our atmosphere, what's happening? Basically, it's like a blanket, like your duvet. Keeps you nice and warm, but sometimes a bit too warm. And the amount of that warmth that is retained depends on how quickly those gases in the atmosphere uh, break down or are removed. Also, just like your duvet and those gases. Um, <laughs> So there's carbon dioxide, which lasts for a while, thousands of years. There's methane. Um, it has a span over, over 100 years. It's 25 times more effective than carbon dioxide, so it will last even longer, but it does break down, sorry. It has more effectiveness at trapping heat, but it will break down quicker. There's also nitrous oxide, and it is over a span of 100 years, 298 times more effective at trapping heat than carbon dioxide is. There's all these gases in the atmosphere which um, we as humans have emitted and it's affecting us and it's affecting our planet. And if we go to the next slide, some of the, the main indicators that we have in terms of global, indicators of a global warming, not only is it gonna be hotter, it's also gonna be wetter um, because there's more capacity for the atmosphere to hold heat when it is warmer. At the same time, it's also going to be drier because there will be not enough water in some places and there will be too much water in other places because all that water in the atmosphere, when it collates together, comes together, it comes down with greater intensity as rainfall. And we're already seeing that. Um, we are seeing, say, from Cyclone Gabriel earlier this year, the Current science says that it's 10 to 15% more rainfall fell in that storm due to climate change than would have happened otherwise. So if you had 300 mils of rain come down, well, you've actually got 330, 340 millimetres of rain. Is that extra rain that's fallen over the entire catchment part of what um, made the riverbanks burst because they weren't designed for that extra little bit of climate change and extra rain? Anyway, I could talk about that one a lot. Um, as all this uh, warming is going on, we also have increasing sea level rise because the ocean takes up some of that heat and it expands as it gets warmer. 
The same as we're going to have glaciers and ice sheets melting because they don't like it very warm either. All of those things are going to have biodiversity changes and stresses to our natural world and us as people that we live in it. So I come at this from a perspective of the people. It is the people, us, it is the people around the world who have to live here, who have the potential to be displaced or to be hurt. There is a human toll. And our changing atmosphere, in terms of the science, will lead to an increase in these extreme events. Rain, more extreme rainfall events will become even more extreme, droughts being deeper and longer, and sea level rise getting higher, of course. So there's a human toll in this, and we're going to see an increase in post-disaster recovery needs. Next slide. What this means is that there's going to be more cleanup. These are just three examples. Um, cyclone, oh, sorry, hurricanes, Hurricane Irma, bowling through houses. Thank goodness we don't have hurricanes so much here in New Zealand, but in the Pacific and around the tropics we absolutely do. Um, that's after Edgecombe flood in 2017, houses and communities um, severely affected, washed away. That community is no longer the same. And this one here is particularly, it's not close to home, but it's of, of relevance. This was Tongoyo Marae. Um, in Hawke's Bay after Cyclone Gabrielle earlier this year. This is the Wharanui, their meeting house. You can't quite see it on this slide, but the high tide, the water, got a metre up these walls. All the carvings, all the doorways, all the carpets, absolutely ruined. And it's left two or three hundred mils of silt just throughout the buildings, throughout the grounds, over top of the Urupa. A real human toll, community toll, a, a toll on our... Um, on our world's inhabitants. If we go on to the next slide, I'd like to think about how we can respond. There's lots of different perspectives you can have on this. Do we, how do we respond in a faithful way, in an ethical way? Um, what, moral, what moral compass do we use? What about if we're focusing on the environment, if we're focusing on the people, the social aspects of it? What about intergenerational equity? How are we going to leave the world for our children, for our children's children, given that the issues that we're seeing today are the product of our forefathers, of the Industrial Revolution and all the carbon that's been um, pumped into the atmosphere over the last couple of hundred years? What's it going to look like and how are we going to leave it for the next couple of hundred years? There's an economic perspective to it and there's your own personal response to it. I think here in church we can say, look, God calls us to care for both the poor and the planet, which is God's good creation. And I also like to have a challenge that, can we do better at doing good? There's a book called Effective Altruism, and it is literally called Doing Good Better. And it's about taking a, a logical, uh, almost apath uh, just purely logical response. If you have a dollar, how much good can you do with that dollar? And obviously what the good you do depends on the perspective and where you invest it, but it's a great way. How much good can you do for a dollar? Could you do a little bit more for a dollar by investing in somewhere else or um, in a different people group? How, how do we respond? So I have two perspectives on the next two slides. The first one is why in stewardship. Look, we know that um, right now our planet and all the people on it are in trouble. Um, this planet was one we were given to steward. The Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it, in Genesis 2.15. So we could also say, 
the Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to serve it and to guard it and protect it. Are we stewarding well? Are you stewarding well? Climate change and all these extreme events are a daily reality for millions of the world's poor. And it's a matter, I think, of faithful discipleship, of justice, and of worshipping Jesus and looking after his creation to ensure a healthy climate for our future generations. I think God is calling us to respond with, his, with our faith as well as with our looking after the, um, the world. The next slide I have is about equality and justice. This is a big one for me. Climate change is going to disproportionately affect some of the poorest and neediest people, including in New Zealand. And Māori and Pacifica, um, uh, Pacific Island peoples around New Zealand and Pacific are in that category. They tend to live at the coast, which is going to be one of the areas most affected. At the confluence of where the rivers come out and the seas come up, all in places that are disproportionately going to be affected. Poorer people have less access to support and less capacity to adapt. More vulnerable to price changes, more vulnerable to natural hazards that are getting worse from climate change. And often they unfortunately live in the marginal land, the low-lying land which was the last to be developed and it's the cheapest, but also the first to be compromised. Often our wetlands were the last places for houses to be built and now they're the first places to be flooded. These effects are all going to increase over time. And in terms of the Bible's perspective on this, I think God gives us this instruction in Proverbs. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Let's apply equality and justice to our actions as well. What about as the church, what can we do? Next slide. Practically, this is a table of things I try and do. Not necessarily great at all of them. I like to promote um, solar efficient heating and lighting in your buildings. Maybe we could look at solar panels on the church buildings to offset some of our electricity needs. Um, church community gardens and composting in an easy way to reduce our carbon. So using simple church meals and local products, not wasting our food or at least recycling it. And I know the cafe does great things with that. And their coffee beans go in the garden too. Reusing goods rather than throwing them out and buying another one. I like the idea of a walk to church Sunday. It depends how far away you live. If you live in Pies Park, it might take a little while. But for us, you know, we don't live too far away. It'd be great to have a walk to church, a church bus on Sunday. We do it for the men's breakfast, a few of us, in the morning. Um, we could sponsor a forest. Could we have the C3 City Church forest somewhere growing? We could all have a name on a tree, maybe. Um, there's lots of different things we can do. And if we go to the last slide, there's... As a great prophet Nike said, look, um, just do it. Just start somewhere. Um, there are, if we go back to, oh, we don't need, don't need to, but if we go back to those slides about the different perspectives, faithful, economic, social, environmental, there's so many different challenges facing us that we can get stuck. We can get stuck not doing anything. And so sometimes you just need to take the first step and give it a go. That's my perspective on climate change and not 55 slides. Thank you. I will invite my...
and here's my beautiful wife, Katisha, to not talk about climate change. <laughs> Hi, team. Um, so I'm Katisha, and I love that... Um, thank you, Mike. Not glossing over climate change. Um, but it's quite nice that Kyla talked about 2008, Kyla, because I'm actually here to talk about 2006, Katisha. But first, I'm just going to start with this. So if I could just have my first slide, that would be great. And hopefully my iPad is not going to keep locking on me. Cool. So as a wee girl, um, I love the story of Joseph. And I never really thought much more about it other than he had an awesome coat and it had lots of colours. And they are like my two favourite things, colours and clothes. So I thought over the years that was it and I didn't think too much more about it. But as I've got older, I've realised that there's quite a few similarities. Okay, I'm not quite as cool as Joseph, but there was a lot of similarities about his life. And I wonder whether God placed that in my life to grow up with this story. The f um, so that I could think about it now as a older, wiser woman. Anyway, so I'm just going to focus my whole little thing on this verse where um, it says in Genesis at the very end of a very, very long 23 chapters or 13 chapters um, about Joseph's life. So I'm not going to read you from uh, Genesis 32 to 50, because that would take forever and no one's got time for that. Um, but I'm just going to talk a little bit about this verse where at the very end he says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. And that is the story of Joseph. So um, again, I'm a primary school teacher. Books are my jam. So instead of reading all of those chapters, I'm actually going to read a book that my grandparents gave me when I was four, two-minute Bible stories. Let's get this done in two minutes. So Jacob had 12 sons. He loved one son, Joseph, best of all. He gave Joseph a coat of many colors, which made Joseph's brothers jealous. A short time later, Joseph had two dreams foretelling that his father and his mother and brothers would bow down to him one day. When Joseph told his family about the dreams, his brothers grew more jealous. One day, when the brothers were in the fields, they decided to kill him. They said, let's throw him in a pit, but let's not kill him. They took his coat, threw him in a deep hole, but they suggested that maybe they sell Joseph to traders instead of killing him. After the brothers sold Joseph, they took his coat, dipped it in blood, and when Jacob saw the coat, he thought Joseph had been killed. In Egypt, Joseph was sold to Potiphar, the captain of the king's guard. Potiphar's wife hated Joseph, and she told lies about him. I love this very G version. And she told lies about him to her husband. Potiphar threw Joseph into prison. One night, the king's cupbearer and his baker, who were in prison, each had a dream. They told their dreams to Joseph, who knew that God would help him understand the dreams. Joseph told them that the baker was to be killed, but the cupbearer would serve the king again. Just as Joseph had said, the baker was hanged, and the cupbearer went to serve the king. Two years later, the king had a dream, and no one could tell him what it meant, but the cupbearer remembered Joseph. Joseph told the king that his dream meant that there'd be seven years of plenty in Egypt, and then seven years of famine. The king put Joseph in charge of the kingdom to board, build storehouses for the extra food that would grow during the years of plenty. For seven years, the crops grew well. 
and only Egypt had something to eat. There was no food where Jacob and his sons lived, however, so Jacob sent all but Benjamin, the youngest of his sons, to Egypt to buy food. In Egypt, Jacob's sons bowed down before Joseph, but just as Joseph's dream had foretold. Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. He asked them about their homeland and their family. I'm just going to skip over a little bit more. Then he goes on and he sends them out with a cup and then he threatens that they've been stealing from him and brings them back. But then they came back as they asked him to with the younger brother. When Joseph saw his brothers, he, he gave them grain. Then he told his servants, oh no, we did that bit, sorry. Sorry, skipping some. When his brothers returned, Joseph told them that he was their brother. He asked them to go and bring all of Jacob's family back to Egypt. Now you see, he said, that God sent me here to save you and all of my people from hunger. So Joseph didn't have a great life. He had some pretty hectic moments where things were really not very nice for him. And so often we hear about not letting go of God in the hard times and not forgetting to thank God in the good times. And so often we have messages that are either one side or the other. And I've been thinking a lot about Joseph and how so often we're living right in the middle of both awesome and awful. And how do we as Christians serve God, love God, and love God faithfully through these really messy seasons? So right now we're actually living in the absolute chaos of both provision and blessing. And it's chaotic. And right now we can't talk about that because it's so messy. And I know though that because I'm a little bit older and wiser, that in a year's time, we're going to have an awesome testimony about the season that we're in currently. But because we're right in amongst one season, I'm going to rewind back to 2006. And yes, I'm old. Um, I was second year at university in Canterbury. I was 18 and a half and I was a design student. I lived in a fantastic flat of crazy six people. Actually, we can have those next slide and then we'll duck back to this one. Um, so I lived in this crazy flat of six. You might recognize a couple of people in there. Um, I spent the summer working with my best friend and then we took off to the North Island to have a magnificent road, tra uh, road trip with our flatmate, Mike. He might look familiar. Um, that year turned out to be the breaking of me, but it was also the making of me. In the space of a few months, my lifelong, I have had a lifelong problem-free condition with my kidneys. It became a concern. So second year uni, I'm 18 and a half. So tests began. They were rather invasive. And my dad's family are very tight. He's one of 72 first cousins or so, like on both sides. They're pretty massive, but they're tight as. And one of the uncle di uncles died. It was understandable. But at the same time, my grandfather on the other side, he had a stroke and it was pretty touch and go. Meanwhile, we went down to the uncle's funeral in Canterbury, a little town called Colverton, which is in the middle of nowhere, but it's beautiful. And my other uncle, the youngest one, he had a heart attack at the funeral. And he died. That was that for then. In a matter of weeks later, my grandfather died. And then not long after this, my grandmother died. I spent so much time on that road between Christchurch and Nelson, or on North Canterbury, 
that I actually don't remember doing anything else but drive. How I'd managed to study, I'm not really sure. Then, in about August, I was told that I'd need a kidney removal and possibly a transplant for my other one. And my chances of having children were nil. Things were going great. Not really. And none of them were my own doing. A lot of our testimonies talk about the things that we did wrong and the places that we put ourselves. But this was not that. This was just life. But then there was things within my realm of choice, and they weren't going so great either. I was making some pretty poor ones. So I was all over the shop. I was in a relationship that I shouldn't have been in. I had to deal with the consequences of heartbreak. I was doing things I probably shouldn't have been, and I was not always making those wise choices. However, despite, despite, and this is God, despite the space that I was in, I knew that God was for me. I doubted his purpose sometimes. Sometimes I doubted his plan. And I was hurting so deeply. I just didn't know really what was going on. But I knew that God was somewhere there for me. And he was watching out for me. And in those dark moments, even though I wasn't happy about it, I kind of knew he was there. I remember driving my friend home from uni one day. And it was snowing. That's why I left the snowy photo up there. Because that year it snowed so many times. I was looking for photos and all of them were of snowing. Anyway, that's it. I digress. Um, I was driving my friend home from uni on one snowy day and she asked me, with everything that had happened, why on earth did I still say that I believed in God? What was the point? And I realised in hindsight, and I didn't realise it at the time. Hindsight's an incredible thing, isn't it? Um, I realised in hindsight that was the moment that all of the seeds that my parents and my grandparents had sown into me as Christian um, parents and grandparents, that was the moment that I articulated it for myself. And I said to her, really wise, just warning you, real wise. um, I said, even if I've got it wrong, even if I've got it wrong, I know that by following the ways of God, my life is richer and fuller. So I live in faith that this is probably the right thing to do. You know, in all my 18-year-old wisdom, I was just falling apart. But I just knew that that little tether that I held onto God in the back of everything was still better than not. And, you know, and now I, there's so much more to that. But it was the beginning of my own walk, my own belief, my own stake in the sand that this was for me. So come spring, and this is, this is the tension. This is where the tension comes in. So I've gone through all of this. This is like August, September. Come spring, I was contacted um, by a design studio director. I was, just bear in mind, I was second year. I wasn't third year. I was um, contacted by a design studio director. He told me he was talking to a client when he mentioned he'd like to take on a final year des- design student internship at a small practice. He had men- she had mentioned, she knew a girl. I was waitressing on the trams because that's a thing and it's really cool. Anyway, this was my trams boss. Um, she mentioned that she knew a girl who had a good work ethic, great personality, thanks, and was heading into her final year and that girl was me. I went into the next year with a job, long, beautiful marketing lunches by the Avon, which I do, do slightly miss in teaching. Um, 
and a fantastic team to learn on. Now that goes into a whole nother story, which is for another time. But anyway, I also discovered that I had this awesome flatmate who'd put up with a whole lot and a lot of crying. And I've kind of figured by this point that if he could deal with a chick that could deal with all of that and watch it all just burn, um, he probably was worthwhile going out on a date with. So um, I moved out of the flat at the end of that year and I, I married this guy with the mullet. <laughs> Thankfully, the mullet's gone. Sadly, the curls are too. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, and he made a pretty good boyfriend. So, you know, that was by far one of the better choices of the year. Um, also, our pastor at the time saw something in me and was mentoring me. He was an amazing man. Um, he, funnily enough, was mentoring me to preach sermons um, in a brethren church. I'm a woman. Just let's leave that there. Um, so that's another whole story too. But he was amazing. And he got, he got a whiff of all of my health issues that was still kind of going on in the background. And he said to me, you've got to come into the office and we need to pray for you. We need to pray for you. And I was like, we're a brethren church. Okay, cool. Um, and so I did that anyway. I rocked in and I had this amazing team of pastors pray for me. Given, a few weeks later, went to my specialist appointment with the, with the kidney nephrologist. And he said to me, oh, really what were you thinking at that last appointment? I can't see anything wrong with those kidneys. I think we'll just leave them, leave them where they're at. They'll be fine. And that was that. So... Anyway, and also now I have three children. Um, so that year, that year, you know, like, and I could eat, you know, there's so many parts of our life that we just have incredible testimony to the God that provides and the God that is so kind and gracious to us. And yet at the same time, we also have to live in a, in a tension with that pain but God is there for both of those. And that's what I love about God is that no matter what, he is there for us. He doesn't change. And even when we let go, right, there used to be a song that used to grate my parents' theology hat um, that used to be like, I won't let go of you, God. And they were always like, but God won't let go of you. And I'd be like, okay, cool, right, got it. But now I get that. Even when our we're not holding. God's still got us. You know, he, he's holding us. We don't have to hold him. He, he keeps us. And I think when we remember that, when we remember that God of the universe is there for us, it kind of makes things just a little bit more bearable sometimes. So in the end, I just want to say, and then we're going to listen to a wee song and have a wee think about the words. Um, the thing that Joseph did far better than I did was that he always remained a man of character, whatever the circumstances. And God was faithful and blessed that. Now, I'm not saying that I was as faithful as Joseph, but I think when even in these situations that we find ourselves in, our character says so much and our, um, our perseverance says so much. Are we being faithful to God wherever he places us. So, in Genesis, where it says, Joseph is faced once again by his brothers, and he shows forgiveness and mercy to his brothers. And it said, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. 
all for good, not some of it for good, all of it for good. Even when he was thrown in a pit, even when he was accused of wrongdoing, even when he was in prison, God honored it anyway, and he used it. And that's a pretty cool God that we serve. So we just, if we could listen to that song, I'm just going to leave it there. Thank you.
band. That was incredible. That was incredible to hear from three different people about three different things. What a feast, right? So we're very blessed tonight to hear from them. And um, I don't know about you, but if it's if you want to know who this God is that Kyla was talking about, that you're seeking truth and you want to know more about God, I just want to give you an opportunity in a moment to um, say a prayer with me. Or if you want to... Um, do something about climate change <laughs> where maybe you're a bit scared about that and you want to uh, partner with God on that too. Well, we can do something about that too. Or maybe Katisha's uh, testimony spoke out to you about Joseph and her story there. If you want to know this God and you have never put your um, heart in Jesus' hand before, I just want to give you an opportunity tonight. So while every head is bowed, every eye is closed, if we could just do that, I just want you to repeat after me a prayer. And if you've never done that before, well, we've got some salvation packs at the back for you afterwards. So just repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I confess my sins. I can't hear you. I ask for your forgiveness. That's it. Please come into my heart as my Lord and Saviour. Take complete control of my life. Help me to walk in your footsteps daily by the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for saving me and answering my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you said that prayer for the first time tonight, we've got some salvation packs down the back there we'd love to give to you to help you on your walk with Jesus. Um, And I've just got a few more final uh, verbals before we leave tonight. So next Sunday morning is our annual Christmas special. Um, We've got praise and worship. We've got preaching. We've got um, kids performing. They're so cute. Didn't didn't Xavier do really well in the Aspire moment? You want to see more of that? Well, come back next week. We can do that too. Um, Yeah, and let's just see about who we can ask to come along next Sunday. So maybe it's your neighbour, maybe it's a work colleague. Think about who you can invite next weekend to that service, yeah?